0: You're listening to Fresh Take. You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Afternoon and good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there in the world. If you're hearing my voice, I can only mean two things. One, that my name is Kelsey, and two, that you have tuned in to another brand new episode of F101. So let's jump right into our hot topics this weekend. Uh, more crypto sponsors have been dumped in the world of Formula One. Red Bull has dumped the blockchain provider, I guess. Uh, Tezo, they will no longer be featured on the cars, on the sponsor sheet, on the list of sponsors. They are totally gone, 100% ended. Uh, the only official report from Red Bull is that their sponsorship has come to an end at the end of 2022. And they will be no longer you know, uh, renewing the sponsorship. This does not bode well for any, you know, future for cryptocurrency in Formula One. Ferrari as well is ending their partnership with the crypto uh, company Valos in the end of 2022. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, We're talking $30 million a year that they have uh, officially dumped, but Ferrari has picked up a new sponsor in replacement. They have signed Genesis. uh, It's a US software company no numbers behind that sponsorship deal yet but it's just a downward spiral since the ftx fiasco for cryptocurrencies blockchain companies all that kind of stuff in major sports essentially in formula one as well the only team that seems to be having major faith in cryptocurrencies lately is of course Haas. they picked up two cryptocurrency and blockchain sponsors for the 2023 season which is allowing them to become more um of a threat in the 2023 and beyond season. I mean, it just seems like one team has faith in cryptocurrency and the rest of them have seen at least some of the painting on the walls and they're going, nope, we don't want to risk it anymore. We don't want to lose sponsorship money uh, when it's a very inopportune time. They don't want to risk another company going bankrupt and them essentially losing millions of dollars when they could have had a on-the-ground brick-and-mortar type of sponsorship not looking good for cryptocurrency from here in the future it'll be interesting to see moving on from 2023 if Haas keeps their sponsorships uh if any of the other major teams like mclaren mercedes alpine you know alfa romeo soon to be audi if they pick up or drop cryptocurrency sponsors as well it'll be very interesting to see car release month is february Essentially, that's what February is from the beginning to the end. And it's a little... Um, if you don't know what this is, this is when every single team reveals their brand new uh, scheme, their innovations, their their brand new look for their 2023 cars, or it be 2024, 2022, you know, so on and so forth. It always happens in February. Now, they're usually... A couple teams are bunched up, but they're generally usually spread out very well in the month of February. All of these teams do either broadcast live via TSN, ESPN, or a lot of them. If you go to the actual website of the teams, they will stream live the reveal of the cars and the drivers, as well as, again, you meet the team principals, the strategists. They tell you anything new and exciting about the car, um, anything new and exciting. You can expect that not necessarily on the car right now. It's still in development, so some cars look a little different by the time you get to Bahrain. Some cars look exactly the same. Um, There's been a couple teams in the past where the car comes out and it's one color. There's no Chevrons on there. There's no sponsorship stickers. It's just a very generic-looking car. And then by the time preseason testing comes around, and then by the time Bahrain comes around and the season actually starts, that's when you see the actual full productivity of the team in the off-season and the season before. A lot of these teams, they're slightly superstitious and they don't trust the other teams, which sometimes, in all fairness, it's true. I mean, thinking back to the the pink Mercedes from Racing Point, I mean, there's been a lot of teams in the past that essentially uh, cut and paste copy from other teams. So some organizations have decided that you know, we're not going to show you anything in February at all. You have to guess what it's going to look like. The team principals and the drivers are very vague about the description of what the car is going to look like, as well as some of the innovations that you're going to see. They just give you the generic sports. Well, we tried really hard in the off season. The team really came together. We, we pulled out some tricks and you just have to wait and see. And, but we're very excited for the season. That's essentially all it is. This I don't think is going to be the case this February. These guys are so incredibly bunched up. Uh, there's a couple of teams that are exactly on the same day. Now this is going to make, and there's only one team left that hasn't announced a day as of yet. So let's go through this starting February 3rd, right off the bat. We've got the reigning constructors champions, Red Bull, February 3rd. Williams is February 6th. I'm very surprised that Williams is coming out of the, coming out of the gate this early, this fast. Normally, they're around about the end of February just because they don't necessarily have the budget cap and they've had some financial and structural difficulties over the last couple of years where it really pushes to the last possible date for them to reveal the car. And sometimes they don't even have a full car to present. They've got that. You see the front of the car and then it's kind of just the background or it's a very Visual presentation on a screen. You don't actually see a physical car in front of you I'm very excited to see what Williams has in store for us this year Then we're going out Tari is February 11th Aston Martin and McLaren are both the 13th of February. I am extremely interested to see on I think this sets up a very interesting dynamic especially because I do believe that the mid battle on the grid will be between aston martin and mclaren they've both got new drivers they've both got um off they're both coming off the tail of a really good season and i think this is a major major flex by mclaren because aston martin announced the day that they were revealing first and this was by like two or three days mclaren comes along on a very cheeky twitter post it was very well done you had to pay attention Uh, If you haven't seen it, you really need to go look it up. It's just, it's the details in the background. And I think this is alluding to McLaren's state of mind, that it's not all about flash. It's not all about what you see up front, that the detail is in, or the attention's in the details, that this is the year that McLaren is going to be fourth or fifth in the Constructors Series, and that no matter the big headlines of Fernando Alonso going to, to Aston Martin or the Oscar Piastri fiasco between Aston Martin and McLaren and Alpine and all that jazz. That means that that's shit. That's nothing to do with the season coming up. And McLaren's making a statement going, you know what? We have such confidence in our car, in our innovation and in our driver that we're going to go on the same day as our, their, their chief rival, for the 2023 season i really see this as a massive statement from mclaren and it's going to be you know put up or shut up if you do this you've got to be able to deliver in the season i'm ridiculously excited about this next day valentine's day for all you lovebirds out there for all of you f1 lovers out there as well ferrari is coming out on valentine's day revealing their car as well uh a day after that mercedes is on the 15th it's going to be very interesting to see how mercedes took what they've learned from the you know astronomical disappointment that was the W13 and what they're going to bring this year to the W14 what they've learned what they've gotten rid of what they've improved upon i know for a fact from sources and articles and people that i've talked to and the articles that i've read that they are still sticking with the near zero side pods on the car they are definitely they're going in that really i mean there's a reason why they're called the silver arrows they're going in that very sleek very aerodynamic design that did help them and did hinder them at the same time in the 2022 season i do believe that they have figured out what was wrong and i do figure that they're going to be on the right path for the 2023 season i can't wait to see this i also can't wait to see Um, what George Russell and Lewis Hamilton think about this sidebar Lewis Hamilton got his contract figured out he is re-signed till 2025 the previous seasons up to this season 2023 when his contract is supposed to expire before the extension he was making 41 million pounds a year now driver's salary does not come off of the budget from the entire team it is a total separate entity which is good in this case Because Lewis Hamilton goes from 41 million pounds a year to 75 million pounds till 2025. That is astronomically ridiculous, in my opinion. You're going to pay essentially your first driver, which is fine, $75 million. Well, you got that massive paycheck. Now you better put up or shut up. You have to earn that now, Lewis. If you're listening out there, 75 million is not a drop in the bucket, man, times three years essentially. That's 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 ridiculous. You better be winning your eighth and ninth world championship with that kind of money. Like it's just it's mind-blowing how much that is. And hopefully the the money pressure won't get to him. We all know Lewis Hamilton from from history. If you look back on some of the archive videos and how he raced last year and the season before, and the season before that, and so on and so forth, that he does very well under pressure. But this is a different type of pressure. This isn't driving pressure. This is financial, we're putting all eggs in one basket kind of pressure. It'll be very interesting to see how he deals with that, especially with the new car. If it's not right, if it's not correct, if they're not challenging right off the bat, we're really going to see what Lewis Hamilton is made of. Alpine is coming out on the 16th. Uh, Alpha Romeo is coming out on the 7th, actually, so they're slotted right in between Williams and Alfa Atari. The only team that has not announced when they're coming out, and I'm, I understand why they haven't announced yet, but it's also a little disappointing. Um, it's going to be Haas. Haas has not announced when they're going to be revealing their car. At this point, if they haven't said anything, I'm going to say that Haas is going to reveal their car roundabout the between the 20th and the 25th of February, just because they've got all this extra money. Now it's kind of like from my point of view, I see as if everyone in the research department and all the fab and all that, they're kind of rubbing their hands together going, Oh my God, this is amazing. We have all this extra money. And then you're looking at it going, Holy crap. Now we have to do something with it. And now we're under the deadline because before we could only, Advance certain parts of the car so that gave us plenty of time to do so but now when you can actually hit the budget cap which is $138.5 million in 2023 don't forget that the budget dropped again from $140 million, that you gotta you gotta work with that time frame you really gotta put the pedal to the metal and see what your guys are made of with all this money so I'm still saying between the 20th and the 25th that's when Haas is gonna reveal their car I can't wait to see what this new Haas team, the the dynamic, the car itself, what all of this looks like. I am absolutely stoked. And the new paint job too. They got two new sponsors. Both of them are American. I mean, their their colors were red, white, and blue anyways, essentially. It doesn't matter if it was just the Haas logo or if it was, was with the Russian sponsorship. I mean, it's always been red, white, and blue. They're almost America's team, but not yet, but not really. So I'm very, very excited to see what Haas can do. Nico Halkenberg is coming back. Uh, For those of you who don't know who uh, Halkenberg is, definitely look up some archives. He's a fantastic driver. Him and Magnussen definitely have some uh, strained history. They did used to drive together in Renault. Uh, So that will definitely be, (laughs) that'll be one to look out for. Next, moving on to the hot topics. And this is, it's fantastic for one team and a little earth shattering and very disappointing for another team. Williams has a brand new team principal. Now, this is, I mean, there's good news and then there's amazing news for Williams. Williams has been at the bottom of the constructors list and the drivers list for God knows how long. It's been at least a decade. They, they're not awesome right now. Uh, they used to be massive, innovative leaders in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, then they got into financial trouble. They started essentially getting sold and bought back, and they just kind of dwindled all the way down till they hit the very bottom. But Team Principal is coming over. It is the Mercedes, former Mercedes team strategist, James, and I hope I say her last name right. If I don't, I do apologize. Voles, I hope I say that right. Um, It was a shock to everybody who had heard about it because... Normally when a team principal is going from one team to the next, there are some rumors. There's some rumblings that he's going here. He might go there. The rumors abound either. It's confirmed or denied. There was absolutely no word about this anywhere. And then all of a sudden it was just announced. It just happened. Major, major uh, benefit for Williams, in my opinion, a massive shock to Mercedes. Now, James has been with Mercedes for the entire time that Lewis Hamilton has won his seven championships. He knows the track. He knows the logistics. He's a fantastic strategist. That's why Mercedes kept him along for as long as he did. It's going to be very interesting to see who replaces James and Mercedes. I can't wait to see if they've got a a smoking ace up their sleeve that who's going to replace him as well as how the team, how, uh, how the racing team itself is going to react to him, how Hamilton reacts to his strategy calls. If they get along, if they don't get along, there's no guarantees that the new guy and Hamilton are going to get along at all. We do know from experience from past races that Hamilton is a little bit, he gets down on himself very easily. And the strategists and the team principals and all of them have to kind of help him along with that. George Russell, it'll be very interesting to see how well he does with this new team strategist. I think it's going to be a bit of a a learning curve for Mercedes at the very, very beginning, but they're going to find their groove and they're absolutely going to kill it with this new strategist, whomever it may be. I have not been able to find who his replacement is. There's no rumors. There's no talk about it. There's no nothing. I do think that when Mercedes does reveal their car on the 15th, that they're going to introduce the brand new strategist it's a great time to do it new car new specs new strategist hooray we know who he is and then all of a sudden it's into testing and then it's right back into the season so i think it's going to be a fantastic move for mercedes to to help that team grow and it's obviously a fantastic move for williams and ladies and gentlemen that is your hot topics and with that, that brings us to another edition and the newest installment of the history of F1. The third team we'll be covering today is, again, another team with a long, vast history, not all of it amazing. I do see a lot of historically bad decision-making in this one. It is the all-French team of the Alpine F1 team. Let's get right into it. Full name, full name WMT Alpine F1. Team principal is Otmar Zafar. Uh, Team base is in the Edston UK power unit is Renault. First time we're going to see Alpine is the British Grand Prix in 2020. And that is it. Congratulations as the history of Alpine F1. (laughs) I'm joking there. Uh, Total race wins one. Podiums two points. 328 points so far. So as I said, there's a ton of history with this team and there's a ton of uh, okay decision making. One of the okay decision makings I'm talking about is bringing in Pierre Gasly from AlphaTauri. Atari. He is the newest driver for the Alpine team, replacing Fernando Alonso, and he will be driving with Esteban Ocon. Now, these guys are very good drivers in their own right. They, I consider them still up and coming drivers. They haven't exactly had the best chance to show what they can actually do. They do have some unpleasant history with each other on the racetrack, so hopefully they'll be able to put this aside and actually help the Alpine team before Alpine was Alpine. Now we're going to go back in history. So you understand some of this decision-making, like I said, before Alpine was Alpine, they were the Renault formula one team. Renault's first appearance was in 1977 in the British Grand Prix. Now from 77 to 81, and then you're going to come, they're going to come back in the mid twenties, two thousands, 2016 to 2020 Renault's total championships is two. Pole positions, they've made 51. Fastest laps, 33. Points, 1,777. They've won two Constructors' Championships. They've won a grand total of 35 races and podiums of 103. Now, that doesn't sound too bad, but take into consideration that Renault was Formula 1 standalone teams twice in their entire history. First, when they first started in 1977, and then, like I said, when they came back in the 2016s. In that time, They've been owned by a clothing company and they've also been owned by a motorsport company and neither teams really, really helped them become the team that they really should have been. There was a lot of missed opportunities, some really great driving si- driver signings, but they went on to do one of them goes on to do bigger and much better things with a different team. And another one just kind of decides that he'll come and go as he pleases. So let's get right into it. As of two. Uh, 1981, Renault was officially bought by Tolman Motorsports. Now, generally, when you get bought by a motorsport company, you should be, you know, winning championships, getting points, and just taking down the competition like there's no tomorrow. But that just, that wasn't, that wasn't the situation in this time. In 70 Grand Prix races, they didn't win any championships. They didn't win any races, as in they didn't get number one. They got only one pole position. They only got two fastest laps. And in grand total of 1984, they got three podium finishes. Now, they didn't win the race, like I said. They got either second or third. Now, this wouldn't be so bad if they got substantially better much quicker. But it was only Tolman Motorsports from 1981 to 1985. This is not exactly a long stint. This is long enough for two driver's contracts, and we're done. Another team had come along. Brenton Clothing Company decided that this would be a fantastic opportunity to become the major sponsor. And not only did they become a major sponsor, they became the majority, essentially, shareholder in Tolman Motorsport. They kind of bought Tolman out. So now Renault has changed names already. They've only been around since 1977, and they're on to their second essential uh, reimagining, as it were. So. Brenton Motorsport, 1985 to 2002. Again, not exactly a massively long stint, But in that time, they did do substantially better. Renault was unfortunately kicked out as a power unit supplier. They brought in BMW in 1987. So they only lasted two more years. Brenton decided, nope, you guys, I mean, you're good, but you're not good enough. So you bring in BMW. Then all of a sudden in 1990, three years later, they're third in the Constructors' Championships. In those years between 85 and 90, that five year period, they weren't lighting F1 on fire, but they were that team that just constantly made more points, made good decisions and just kept winning and kept getting points and kept getting points. And then all of a sudden you see them going, holy shit, they're third in the constructors. That's amazing. Turnaround 1994. So four years of them learning, four years of them growing. And then in 1994, a massive Signing for the drivers' series, I guess you could say they won the they won the drivers' championships. That's amazing. Well, then, what driver did they use? Is it somebody I've heard of? Is it somebody you've never heard of? Well, you've definitely heard of this voice or this name. If not his, then definitely his son's name. Nineteen ninety four World Championship, one of se- his first championship of seven. Michael Schumacher was in the Brenton. Race car, which is amazing, which is fantastic. Okay, how many more races are we going to do? How many more times are, you know, Michael Schumacher going to win a race for Brenton? uh None. Next season, he was signed to Ferrari, where he goes on to win his other championships and becomes the legacy and the legend that he is. Next year, 1995. Renault comes in one more time. Now, we're not talking about the uh, the company itself. Renault comes back in as the power unit contractor. So now they're a contracting car. They're the first constructor's car, not contracting, constructor's car. This is the first time that they will appear as a constructor in 1995. Late. Now we're going to skip ahead a couple years, 98, 99. Renault pulls out his power unit provider. You're going, well, what the hell? You just became the PU provider. Where are you going? You provide power units for other cars. Maybe you're just stretched too thin. You can't do this one. They turn around and Renault felt confident in the the championships from this point on and that they're, they're making good decisions. So they turn around and they buy out Brenton and become officially Renault Racing Team in 2002. Now, if you want to consider this the first time or the second time, it's the Renault Championship F1 team. We're back in the modern era now, and they're killing it. They're doing good moves. They're known as Renault from 2002 to 2010 again. They're making stretches. They're making stints. They're winning races. They're making, again, fantastic decisions with their driver lineup but they can't seem to hold the drivers there for long enough to make a substantial contribution 1995 or 2005, 2006. All right. They win back to back driver's championships. The only driver's championships they've had to this date. You know, this driver, he's been around forever. He's left formula one once for a couple of years. He did the 24 hour of Le Mans. He's done some endurance racing and he is now officially racing. But now He's racing for Aston Martin. We're talking about the legendary, never say die, never going to quit, Fernando Alonso. He's still a rookie at this point. Double championship back to back. That's amazing. They're going to sign him forever, right? Well, no. 2007, Fernando Alonso decides to leave and he goes to McLaren. Not exactly the best uh, move for Alonso and a really, really, really bad decision to I don't want to say let Alonso move, but obviously I think Renault could have done a lot more to keep him there for longer. Because after Fernando leaves, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you get a grand total of two Grand Prix wins in two thousand eight and one podium finish in two thousand nine. Like that's that's it. That's that's all we got. And even at that, it seems like they can't win properly. They can't win clean. Uh, in, two th- in 2009, the team's on probation for an incident that happened in 2008. Now, Formula One is usually a year behind when things happen. You get penalized fully when it's fully done and investigated at the end of the season. So there was a an incident at the Singapore Grand Prix in 2008 where a Renault driver, Nelson Piquet, was essentially accused of cheating. Okay, so how do you cheat? So during the race, you've got PK is in, I believe he's fifth or something along that line. The Renault, the other Renault driver is in first. Now, who's this Renault driver that you know? Fernando Alonso has come back to Renault around about, I believe it is 2008. I think he came back that next season. Because uh, 2009, Fernando Alonso is involved in this one where Nelson PK purposely, according to everybody else and the FIA that he purposely crashes his car with less than 10 laps to go. And we're not talking like a little bit of an, oops, I hit the wall, yellow flag, get me off. You can continue racing. He hit the wall so hard that he kind of sacrificed himself and he destroyed, in my opinion, destroyed the car, causing a red flag for the race. And at that time, if there's so many laps and it'll take too long to clean up or different circumstances, they'll officially call the race. Like you're done wherever you stand in this race, that's your positioning. Well, Fernando Alonso was first in that race. And that was one of their only two wins in 2008. So Renault damned if they're due damned if they don't, they can't make proper driver decisions. Alonso's back. Okay. That's great. Didn't work out in McLaren, but only two GP wins in 2008. And you're accused of cheating. And it still stands that they are accused of cheating to this day, but the FIA couldn't find enough substantial evidence to actually pull the win from their record. But this is how, you know, this is how Renault's going. The end of the 2010 season for Renault was a lackluster, to say the least. Again, mid teams, not mid team racing, not winning any championships, not doing a whole lot. Come along 2011, Lotus comes in into Formula One. It's great. They're going to be new, they're going to be exciting. They buy Renault. So now all of a sudden, it's the Lotus Racing Team. And on top of that, their first season, they only get 10 points. And then the season after that, or that same season, Lotus ends up dumping Renault as a power unit supplier again. And now they're picking up Mercedes for 2015. So from 2011 to 2015, it's Lotus plus Renault. And now all of a sudden, it Lotus is going, you know what, you can't even... You're having issues. You can't even do a proper engine job anymore, which is what Renault used to be renowned for. And now they're still getting dumped more and more and more and more and more. So Lotus, two thousand eleven to two thousand fifteen. Be keeping up with me so far, because you know it's a lot to take in. Two thousand sixteen to two thousand twenty comes in. Okay, so now where's Renault? Is it Lotus? Oh, sorry, I meant Lotus, right? Or is it Renault? I'm a little confused because. We're doing this Renault F1 Part 3. Renault buys their shares back from Lotus because Lotus doesn't want to be in F1 anymore. Now you've got the Renault team that most people do know. But again, they're only, you know, four years in. Uh, They bought out Lotus on September 28th, 2015. Like, it's just a lose-lose situation for everybody. This team is being passed back and forth, back and forth. Nobody knows what to do with it. And they can't, they can't win. It's nothing but controversy. Not only that, but teams are starting to not want them to be as power unit suppliers anymore. We're going to fast forward to 2019. Now this is on drive to survive. So this is where most people know Renault from. That they signed Daniel Ricciardo, they're going to save the team. Well, Danny doesn't. he doesn't really do anything spectacular. He does struggle at, at Renault but he does win one podium for Renault in years. Like he is kind of the savior. They should have kept him a little longer and they should have given him more support. On top of that, all of a sudden, Red Bull and McLaren are both dumping Renault because the power units that they're being given, they suck. They are not consistent at all. When you watch, if you've watched Drive to Survive on, on Netflix, you'll see that, Red Bull will have two, at least two seasons ending in 2019 where their power units are so inconsistent they don't know if they're going to finish one race to the next. Whereas when you look at the Renault cars, they have absolutely no issues at all with the power unit. Red Bull and McLaren are, in my opinion, superior teams to Renault was back in that season, and yet they were the ones having the issues. There was rumors... Allegations but no evidence that Renault was giving you know themselves a superior product to their actual customers but there was no proof in that but two thousand nineteen for both Red Bull and McLaren they dropped Renault uh, therefore they don't supply any power units except for themselves at this point Red Bull got power uh, partnered up with Honda where they've got the fantastic engine that is in the car to this day and McLaren fantastic move they go to mercedes a reliable engine supplier they get what mercedes gets to any other team that drives a ferrar or a mercedes engine they get the same kind of quality so renault can't they just keep shooting themselves in the foot with either bad ideas or just bad decisions 2017 their fourth in the constructors really really great 2019 three podium finishes it's the best they've ever done since 2016 and then you're they didn't really do a whole lot in 2020 they're just kind of again putzing along middle of the pack not really doing not really doing a whole lot nobody wants to take their power units um anytime at that point when somebody did take a power unit if it was if it wasn't faulty if it wasn't breaking down on them then Renault was losing out to the teams that they were supplying power units to. It just, it didn't make sense for them in any direction that they looked at. Perfect example. We're talking 2018. Uh, they provide the power units to McLaren. And then all of a sudden that year, McLaren finishes fourth, Renault finishes fifth. So, I mean, again, they're damned if they do, they damned if they don't come in 2021. Now they're rebranded as Alpine, uh, the upswing with the new branding, they got a new team principal. They fired their old one, which I think was the best thing that they could possibly have done. And that same year, they win their first race in Hungary, and that's Esteban Alcon. It's it's fantastic. It's a the way that the Alpine brand, but the Renault team needed to have. To this day, Renault is still the power sup- unit supplier for Alpine, and they shockingly haven't had a whole lot of issues. Depending on who you ask, if you ask Esteban Ocon, he had an amazing 2022 season. He did very well. If you ask Fernando Alonso, on the other hand, the inconsistency with the power unit left 60 points on the track that he could have used to get higher up in the constructor series for the team, as well as the driver's championship for himself. So six of one, half a dozen of the other, it all depends on how you want to look at it as well as in 2022. Uh, Esteban Ocon's teammate, Fernando Alonso, third in the, uh, in the constructors. No podiums or in the, the championship drivers. Sorry, I misspoke there. That same race in Hungary, Fernando Alonso came in third. So it's a double podium for the maiden season for Alpine. 2022 comes along, no podiums, but they're fourth in the constructors, which is amazing for them. And then they start making decisions again. Maybe instead of, not giving Fernando Alonso a non-reliable car. How about you fix the problems and you keep a championship pedigree on your team? But instead, Alpine, in all their wisdom, decided they wanted an all-French lineup. It would be fantastic for marketing and they would sell more merchandise. Well, congratulations. You've lost Fernando Alonso to Aston Martin and now you've picked up here Gasly from AlphaTauri. When you look at that on paper, it's not a fair trade. If you look at it in the driver's standings, it's not a fair trade. If you look at it in any possible way of a Formula One fan, analyst, uh, you know, stats, doesn't matter, it's not a fair trade. You're trading a championship driver to your nearest competitor and you're picking up a 20, I think he's 23, 23 year old driver who, if he doesn't like how the team is behaving, he doesn't drive well. So you're swapping out a legend for a child. Mm, I, I, I really hope this is not the history repeating itself for Alpine and Renault where they start making really bad decisions instead of having faith in their driver and in their systems. My prediction for Alpine this year. So a lot of people have asked me, what you know, what do I see Alpine doing? Are they going to be better this year? Are they going to be worse this year? I want to say that it's going to be an upward trajectory for them, that they're going to really, really put McLaren in their place and get fifth in the constructors, if not fourth challenge Mercedes. But it all depends. And it all starts on the 16th of February when they show their car. If you look at that car, With all the research they put in there and all the the speculations of all this new part here, that part there, new driver, new lineup, all this kind of stuff. If you look at it, and even if you don't really understand the technological part of it, if you look at it and go, meh, I think that's the kind of season they're going to have. If they come out of the gate and just wow, right off the bat, the new drivers get along. The car looks amazing. They've got visible aerodynamic upgrades on the car they're going to absolutely kill it they're going to be in the top five but if they have a lackluster car to begin with that doesn't perform on the track from day one they're not going to be able to keep up mclaren looks mean and nasty i mean like i said they're coming out the same day as aston martin they got something to prove the top 3 are always going to be the top 3 mercedes, ferrari and red bull that's going to be the way it is i see i see haas giving alpine issues so what do i see of them i see them being another middle of the grid team nothing too spectacular i do hope that the drivers get along but from what i've seen and the history with them between each other and just how they drive individually Alcon's not old enough to be the number one driver. He doesn't have that experience to show Pierre Gasly how it's supposed to be done in Alpine. I think they're going to fight each other majority of the season, and I think they're really going to screw themselves out of a really good podium finish and a lot of points. That's, That's how I see it going for the 2023 season for Alpine. Join me next week. When we talk about our fourth team in the history of F1 series, we're talking about the very innovative, again, the very history-filled...